0: We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of his glory to you. All right. As they're making their way back, if you have a Bible, please go ahead and grab it and turn to the book of Joshua. We have been working through the book of Joshua for a number of weeks now. This is what we do as a church. We, we look at God's word week after week after week because we know that's where we see more of God. And so I could stand up here and give a a bunch of wisdom from me. It wouldn't be all that wise. I'll tell you that. Um, Or who said amen? (laughs) Come on now. John said that. Thank you, John. Thanks for pointing that out. Um, John joins me in that. Um, Or we could look at God's word and see the wisdom of God. And so that's what we want to do. We've been working through the book of Joshua. Joshua is in the Old Testament, the first half of your Bible. It's the sixth book of the Bible. And as you're getting there, I want to ask a question, um, and, and this is something that I've been asking myself this week as I've been preparing. Have you ever been in a place in life where you wonder if the faithfulness of God could run out? Have you ever been in a place in your life where, where you just sense, like, I know God's been faithful, but it feels like, I, I don't know where he is, and... And maybe it's running out. Or, or maybe you're in a place where you think God's faithfulness to me has already run out. He's been faithful, but at some point he's going to give up on me. And it seems as if that, that time has come. He's been faithful. He's kept his promises. I don't need to doubt at all that he's called me to be faithful. And, I, and I've tried to be faithful, but it's hard and I fail. And at some point, because of those failures on my part... I'll see the end of God's faithfulness toward me. There's a lot of different varieties of how that could feel. Have you experienced that? Have you felt that before? We can go through some dark times in life. And I know that, I know that many of you are working through some really dark things in your own lives right now. It seems like we're, we're in a season as a church where there's, a, there's been a lot of, a lot of hurt. There's also been some joys, but there's been a lot of hurt, and, and that, those times in our lives can, can lead us toward despair. I know a lot of you are walking through those things even now. I know you've faced some stuff over the last few months or years that has, have been extremely difficult times, things, things you thought you never would have thought that you would have had to walk through. If you, you, you think through it that way, like if you had asked me five years ago, hey, in five years, this is... This is probably something you're going to be walking through. You said, no way. But now here you are. Some of you are are going through things right now that that no one else knows, or just a handful of people, where it just seems like one thing after another, one hard thing after another. And when things spiral out like that, we can quickly get to some dark areas in life. I was, I was recently, recently talking to a friend who has walked through some stuff over the last several years, and, and his friend said, said to me, in, in, my, "In my darkest moments, I begin to have some thoughts about God that go against everything I know to be true about God, but those thoughts are still hard to shake." Have you been there? Our understanding of the faithfulness of God, our belief in the faithfulness of God can absolutely change and morph, and it often does when we go through different situations in life. It changes, it morphs, we we begin to doubt, we begin to to have have those moments where we're like, no, I'm all in, and, and it can go back and forth, and we can walk through doubts of his faithfulness and even experience what feels like his lack of faithfulness. We experience that. Where are you, God? But the truth remains, whether we feel it or not, the truth remains that God is faithful. That's what we've seen for weeks and weeks now. And some of you are thinking, okay, God's faithful. We get it. It's right up here, faithful. We understand you've told us that over and over. But please don't check out. Don't don't allow this to be um, something that you think, yeah, I've got that. I got it. God's faithful. I get it. Listen, God is faithful. I want you to hear this. God is faithful to you. Not just big picture, like, yeah, we see it in the Bible, God's faithful, we see it. No, God's faithful to, faithful to you. He's faithful to, to me, to us. He is faithful. And as Eric pointed out last week, the call on us is to be faithful as well. That, that is our response of worship. Our faithfulness to God is a response of worship. Now, this week, we're going to look at this pretty intently, the faithfulness of God, and we're going to be looking at it in five chapters in Joshua. You thought my other sermons were long. <laughs> five chapters where we get to see God's promises kept, and we're going to be bouncing back and forth, um, so keep your Bible open, ready to, to go back and forth. We're going, to, we're going to see big themes. We're going to work through it verse by verse. We're going to see big themes scattered throughout the text because these five chapters are about the same thing, the distribution of the land that has been promised. And here's where we'll start. I know that seems simple and I know we've talked about it, but just hang with this. God is faithful. We keep saying that and we've touched on it here and there, but let's look at how we see God's faithfulness in profound ways over the years, at least from the the point of view of the people who are walking through it. In Genesis chapter 12, the very first book of the Bible, listen, chapter 12 of the Bible, we're 12 chapters into the entire Bible. That's 12 chapters into what we know of humanity. 12 chapters in, that's not very long after um, everyone was wiped out except for Noah and his family uh, through a flood. 12 chapters into the Bible... God approaches a man by the name of Abram and says, hey, pack up all your stuff, leave the land that you've been a part of, leave your father's house, and go to the land that I'm going to show you because I'm going to make you a great nation and bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. Now, we may know this story, and we may think, yep, yep, we got it. But here's the question. Was that promise to Abram answered immediately? Come on. No. It absolutely was not. Was was this God saying, "Here's what I'm going to do, Abram"? And bam, there it was. He answered the promise, and they moved on. That's not the way it went. In fact, Abram, this guy who had a promise on him from God to, that he would be a great, na- from him would come a great nation, and they would go to a, a land. Abram struggled to have children of his own. So the question is, how would a great nation come from someone who who, who is struggling to have a family of his own? That's the question that the, the reader is forced to ask as we enter into this. And you know, Abram was absolutely asking that. And so the story is a convoluted one. That's Genesis chapter 12, the beginning where land was promised. The story is a convoluted one from there. Abraham and Sarah have a son named Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah have Jacob. And, and Jacob has several sons. Jacob, who would be called Israel, has several sons, several of them having different moms. And through that lineage, there are problems. That's the the PG way of saying what happens in those chapters. There are problems. There is conflict. There is sin. There is death. There is more conflict. There is more sin. There is more death. It's a wild, convoluted story, but there's this consistent thread through the entire thing. And what is that? This God's faithful. God made a promise with Abram, and God always keeps his promises. And the whims and the ways of sinful humans will not stand in the way of God keeping his promises. The land that was promised to Abram that, that he would be a great nation, that, that, was, that, that promise to Abram would be fulfilled not through his son and not through the sons of Jacob, through, uh, or not through his son, but through the sons of Jacob, through Leah, Rachel, Zilpah, and Bilhah, 12 sons that would become the 12 tribes, kind of, right? <laughs> so let me, let me show you what I mean by that. One of those sons, Joseph, was sold into slavery by his brothers, and, and Joseph then has two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. We've heard, heard those names, right? And the inheritance from Jacob, Joseph would then give over. Instead to him, he would give it over to Manasseh and Ephraim, his sons. They replace then Joseph in this list of tribes that would get a piece of the promised land. If you're counting, that takes us up to 13, right? You take away one and you add two. I'm not good at math. went to public school. You, you just add that and you get 13, But remember, we've talked about this over the weeks, Levi, Jacob's son through Leah, would become a nation of priests and would not receive an inheritance of land, but their inheritance, this tribe, would be the service of God. So that brings us, take away one, that brings us back down to 12. 12 tribes, a part of the nation, receiving a great land. Convoluted, back and forth, really had to think through that this week as I was looking at how did all of this come about. Here's what we see. God is faithful. God is faithful to keep his promises even though some wildly sinful events occur. Even when his people are not faithful, God is. And it's because Joseph was sold into sla- Egyptian slavery that all of his brothers were brought into Egypt. It's because his brothers are now in Egypt that God's new leader, Moses, was born in Egypt. Moses was God's chosen leader who would lead the people out of slavery into freedom. After 400 years, so we're years, years, years beyond this promise. Listen, do you ever begin to lose hope that God is going to be faithful? Do you ever get to that place of thinking, at some point, God is going to give up on me? If, if so, I don't think we're alone. We have an example before us. These people are waiting. They know the promise and they're waiting, but God is faithful. And it may not be in our timing and it may not be in the ways that we would choose, but God is absolutely faithful. We've, we've not been promised land, have we? I don't, at least I, no one that I know of has been promised land. But because of Christ, we've been promised that God will be with us And we've experienced that, haven't we? You've experienced that for sure. It's a promise of God being kept. We've been promised that God will not leave us or forsake us. And because of Christ, that's a promise that we've seen kept. And we've been promised by faith an eternal place of rest because of Jesus, an eternal city because of Jesus, free of sin, free of weeping, free of pain in the presence of Jesus. We've been promised that, and it's coming And so finally, God's people are freed from slavery, 400 years of slavery, only to, only to what? Only to wander in the wilderness. The promise, though, is still there to be kept. The promise is, is of land. God is faithful. He's going to keep a promise. He's going to move them forward. So after Moses dies in his disobedience and after the Egyptian generation has died out in their rebellion, God brings up a new leader. Who's that leader? Oh, come on. Just say the name of the book that we're working through. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Joshua. I'm, I know it's hot. I promise you it's hotter up here. Um, and so I need you to hang with me, all right? Joshua is, is the leader that God brings up. He's going to keep his promise. To these 12 tribes who are ready to move forward into their new land, God is faithful. And that's what we see scattered throughout these five chapters. God is faithful. He's faithful to keep his promise to give the land to the people that was promised hundreds and hundreds of years previous. Each tribe named after one of the brothers or their family members who spent so much of their lives enslaved in Egypt with no land. With no land. And so first we see the details for that land that was given to Judah as an inheritance. We won't go go through and spend a lot of time on these, but I do want to hit where they are. Given to Judah as an inheritance. Every boundary, every mountain, every hill, every desert, every city, every village, every river, every stone, every spring, every coast of the sea. Details of the inheritance given. I don't know if you read through this this week, these five chapters, and you probably thought I had so many people come up to me and say, what are you going to do with these five chapters? I don't know if you read through these chapters. They're hard to get through. Every single detail is laid out. This is an, an inheritance given to the tribe of Judah. Remember, an inheritance is, is given. It's not earned. So God is the giver. He's the one who owns this. And he gave it to his people. And the boundaries were exact. If he's going to give something, the boundaries are going to be exact. And so one by one, the author walks through all of the land that was finally given to the people as their inheritance. This is an event they had been anticipating for years, anticipating. I- I'm sure, uh, uh, but but I'm sure in the back of their minds, they were all wondering, "We've got to think." Every last one of them is wondering, "Is this really ever going to happen? Is this really ever going to happen?" And I've asked you all the question. My my own heart, the question this week. Have there been moments where you've doubted the faithfulness of God, where you've thought, sure, God has been faithful, but it's going to run out at some point. Is this going to extend? Is it going to last? Is it it going to keep going? And I'm sure each of us has experienced that. You know the people who are wandering in the wilderness and now up against this land ready to go in are wondering if this inheritance, this promise of being a great people in a great land was actually going to happen. Like kids in the backseat, of the vacation van. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? At some point in their minds, there's a doubt that they're ever going to get to that place, right? And you've got to imagine that the people are beginning to think that. But God's faithful, so there's an inheritance given for Ephraim and Manasseh. chapter 16 and 17, sons of Joseph. Remember, the half- Half-tribe of Manasseh has already been given their land on the east side of the Jordan River with Gad and Reuben, um, but, but now it's that. We'll just fly through this. The inheritance for Benjamin is given in 18. The inheritance for Simeon in 19. The inheritance for Zebulun. The inheritance for Issachar. The inheritance for Asher. The inheritance for Naphtali. The inheritance for... A little bit less creative for this one, Dan, right? So all of this, ran out of cool names at this point. Um, all of this ha- has been given out. God is faithful. Every single boundary is meticulously laid out by God for his people. The boundaries were drawn by God. These are not boundaries like, hey, every man for himself, go get, get, get what's yours. Um, run for it. Whatever you can get, it's yours, no, this is God keeping His promises, and if God is going to keep His promise, He's going to keep it down to the detail. Boundaries are laid out. God is faithful. Listen, friends, God is faithful, even when we are not. And I think we, we see this in um, we, we see this in what we have scattered through these chapters. Throughout Joshua, Joshua, we've seen the disobedience of the people. It's woven through the people, not just heading into the promised land, but this is woven through the people even before them, right? Moses, their leader, had been disobedient to God. The, the people um, with Moses that, that Moses was leading, they were rebellious. Could we go all the way back? We could. Just keep going all the way back to Adam and Eve. They were disobedient, but listen even as they were heading into the promised land God had orders for them he had commands for them he had a way in which they wanted them to move forward and so he says we've already seen it devote to destruction everything in the land so that when you inhabit the land that you won't be infected by the the pagan cultures before you this is your land But we saw even in this first city, Jericho, Achan kept back some of the devoted things for himself. So we see a a track record beginning in the very first chapters of Joshua of disobedience. Following that, some of the places were not completely destroyed. There's disobedience to God. The the people thought they knew better, and so they left some of the cities alone. We don't need to take care of them. We'll, We'll just leave those alone. They didn't wipe them out. God is faithful even when we are not. So we see in the inheritance of Judah in verse 63 of chapter 15, we're we're told that the Jebusites were left with the people of Judah because they were unable to drive them out. And it just continues. Chapter 16, verse 10, Ephraim did not drive out all of the people of Getzer, and they still live among them. It continues. Chapter 17, verse 12, Manasseh did not take full possession of some of the Canaanite cities, so they still live among them among them. And we see later in chapter 17 that the people of Ephraim and Manasseh come to Joshua and they say, hey, you know, we're a pretty big, pretty big group of people and we're going to need more land. And so Joshua says, great. So keep driving forward into the forest, clear it all out, clear out the hills. And and that country is yours. Even though the people there have chariots made of iron, you can do it. It's God's words to the people. And the people leave the Canaanites there, not driving them out. Listen, God is faithful even when we are not. And if you know the Old Testament, you'll realize now the problems that are coming in the very next book, the book of Judges. When every person how are they described? Did what was right in their own eyes. And what did they do? They pursued the ways of the pagan people who were living among them. Where did that start? Right here. They didn't push out the people like God had said. God told them this would happen if they didn't devote to destruction. The people of the land, they were given as an inheritance. And still God shows his faithfulness. He still continues to be faithful. His faithfulness does not waver. waver. Listen, friends, this is the kind of God we have, isn't it? It's the kind of God we have. We have a God who graciously gives and gives and gives and gives. He's, he's faithful even when we are not. This is a pattern through the story of Humanity. That God gives, that He's faithful, that He calls us to be faithful, and we try to be faithful, and even when we fail, that call on our lives is to be faithful. Then, then, if we fail, what's the call? Repent. And what is, what is repentance? It's a turning back to God, away from the things that we are pursuing, back to God. And when we do that, how does God respond? Graciously, open arms welcomes us in. Who needs to hear that today? Been pursuing something, whatever that is, running toward it, you know it's in disobedience to God, you know it's not faithfulness to God, and you've been, you've been convicted in some way, and you know you need to turn. When you do, God is ready to welcome you in. We need to hear that. Such a, a theme in Scripture, really such a theme in humanity, that Jesus himself years later tells a story about it. It's become known as the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, that the youngest of two sons goes to his father and he asks for what? His inheritance. Give me my inheritance early. Right? Remember, an, an inheritance is not earned. It's not something that's deserved, especially if you have the audacity to go ask for it. It's a gift. And so the father in the story generously, graciously gives the inheritance to his son. And the son goes out. We're told in chapter 15 of Luke, verse 13, that that he squanders it in reckless living. Hear that. He squanders it in reckless living. He, He blows it all. On, on personal gratification he he go, he does exactly what he wants to do he 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 lives what he thinks is his best life now he he goes out and he just does it and I would imagine that some of you may be in this that place right now where you 've had the opportunity to run out and, and do whatever it is you 're wanting. no one 's watching. I can do whatever I want. I, I can chase down that thing you 've taken the opportunity to run for it in all of the ways you think will be fulfilling. And some of those things are for a time. Some of you have been in that place. Maybe not now, but you've been there. Here's what we have to remember about the character of God. God is faithful and calls us to be faithful as well. He calls us to obedience he calls us to turn and when we're when we're not faithful he is the kind of God and he's the kind of father who continues to call us back here's what's crazy if and when we do return if and when we do repent if and when we turn around and go back to the father he will receive us hear that The dad in the story in Luke chapter 15 sees his son coming back after a season of rebellion and we're told that when the dad sees his son, even off in the distance, the father runs toward the son to receive him and to accept him. We've got to see this. God is faithful even when we're not. It's our story. It's the human story. It goes all the way back through the 12 tribes. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. It is in our blood. And God is still the same. Friends, listen to that this morning, please. If you're running away from what you know God is calling you toward, would you wake up? Return? God's waiting, receptive, He's a Father who cares. On a day like today, Father's Day, maybe all you, can, all you have in your mind is a, is, a, is a father based on your earthly father who was not that kind of person. God is a father who cares and, and receives us in as we run toward him. Maybe that's not where you are this morning, but maybe you have someone in your life who you know is running away. And I think it, with that in mind, I, I think our, our response then is in love with the courage of God behind us to plead with that friend, that family member, whoever that is, to return to God, to come back, to repent. He's faithful. Even when we have not been, he is faithful. These chapters in Joshua are, are the summary of the land that was promised by God to be given to the people as a gift, and woven through the story of God's faithfulness is the human story of unfaithfulness. And God is waiting on our return. He's faithfully waiting on our return. And Eric hit this so beautifully last week that the the faithfulness of God seen through is it, it seen so beautifully through the faithfulness of of His people. When we are faithful, we we actually are pointing to a faithful God who's been faithful all along. And that's summarized here again in these five chapters. Here's what we see. God displays his faithfulness to the faithful. God displays his faithfulness to the faithful, not just nations, not just people groups, not just Israel. I think this is what we often think when we read through these chapters or read through books like this. We think, yeah, God's been faithful and he's, he's faithful to these big groups of people because they're all a part of this big group of people. It's his nation. It's the people he's called. But listen, so what I said earlier, he's faithful to you as an individual. And we, and we see this even here. He's faithful to individuals. The, the book of Joshua is about the promises of God being kept for the people, the 12 tribes. But there's also an inheritance given to individuals, an inheritance to Caleb and an inheritance to Joshua. Last week we saw the inheritance given to Caleb and we see it here again, summarized again. Caleb, one of the spies who under the the leadership of Moses came back with a positive report about the land. He trusted God's provision for them as a promise keeping God. It was because of Caleb's faithfulness that God was faithful to uphold his promise. And even though Caleb wasn't one of these tribes, he wasn't one of the 12. He received a portion of land as an inheritance. And if we jump ahead to the very last verses of chapter 19, we also see there is an inheritance for Joshua. In fact, I want us to see that. So if you would, turn to Joshua 19. We see this inheritance to Joshua, the one who's been leading them. I want us to see this because there's some beautiful lessons that we can learn from the gratitude of the people, lessons we can learn about Joshua's own leadership, and more than that, lessons we can learn about God's faithfulness. Chapter 19, look at verse 49. This is right after um, the land's been distributed. When they had finished distributing the several territories of the land as inheritance, the people of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. By command of the Lord, they gave him the city that he asked, Timnath-Serah, in the hill country of Ephraim. And he rebuilt that city and settled in it. Listen, the people together, all of the tribes together, after they have received the boundaries of their inheritance, they they together, they, they get together, And they give an inheritance to Joshua. I think we need to see this. This comes from grateful hearts of the people. These are people who have been led well. The the gratitude of the people in so many ways from so many people have followed Joshua. And and so Joshua, along with Eleazar the priest, distribute the land to all the people, a promise that has been now fulfilled after hundreds and hundreds of years. Don't breeze over that. It's a promise now fulfilled, a promise given to Abram and to Isaac and to Jacob hundreds of years previous, now fulfilled. And the people with hearts of gratitude for Joshua's leadership turn to him and they speak a blessing of inheritance of land over him. And he gets a portion of it. And do you know what that land was that was given to him? What city was given to him? People of Timnath, come on. What city was given to him? Timnath. Right? Did you know you all who have fled the cost of living here are living in the promised land of Joshua? Timnath Sarah, a city in the hills of Ephraim. Could this be a lesson? Listen. Could this be a lesson to honor the leaders who have led well? All too often, leaders do not receive the blessing of the people they lead because the people they lead assume leading is what they do. Right? What do you mean, bless Joshua for leading us? That's his job. Right? But, but he's done it well, and he's commended by the people for it. So they give him also uh, an inheritance. But I, but I think this also says something about Joshua. What, what was his primary task? What was the primary task of Joshua? To, to be strong and courageous and lead the people into the land that God had promised to give them. His call was to, then to, uh, to partner up with Eleazar, this priest, and distribute the land. And Joshua was faithful to do it. And that distribution didn't end with Joshua saying, hey, where's mine? Did it? it? Joshua distributes the land, and because he, he does that because that's what God has asked them to do. He took care of the people first that, that, that God had asked him to lead. It wasn't until all of that was accomplished that Joshua received his inheritance. Friends, that is leadership. That is leadership. That is humble, can I even say Christ-like? leadership, that Joshua would do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, and in humility he counted others more significant than himself, and he took uh, not only, looked not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He emptied himself by serving, humbling himself to the constraints that God had for him. That is God-honoring Christ-like leadership. Joshua has been faithful to do that. And so God then displays his faithfulness to Joshua as well. We're told in verse 50 that the, the inheritance Joshua received from the people was by the command of the Lord. So this wasn't just like an office pool where they pulled together some land to give to Joshua. This was by the command of God to do. God displays his faithfulness to the faithful, to Caleb and to Joshua, to, an in, to individuals. And just like Eric pointed out last week, the end goal of our faithfulness is to point back to God's faithfulness. Can I ask you this, friend? Where has God been faithful to you? you think about that often? Are you just so into the like, oh, I'm just a Christian and I roll with things. I don't know. I don't think about those things. No, where has God been faithful to you? Does it, does it cause you then to endure in your faithfulness? to him. I've had so many conversations with, with people who are going through some really hard things right now, and, and my prayer for them is, is just really one word, and that's this word, endurance. Endurance. Yeah, I, I pray that God would remove whatever that, that hardship is, and that God would heal, and God would do, do some really powerful things, but, but my prayer overarching is Endurance. I'll tell you this, and many of you know this, but the last year for me has been probably the hardest year of my life. I can't think of any year that's been harder than this last one. Personal hurt, health issues um, with two of our, our sons, um, relational hurt that I've experienced, relational hurt that I've unfortunately caused at times. And even this, this past week, I found myself praying that god would cause me to endure praying for myself i I was this is how it happened i was uh i was off camping with my family and i woke up with a raging headache and so i went and sat in our car we were car camping i sat in my car my head's throbbing and I'm, i'm just like i i'm praying through different things and i just began praying for my my own endurance not not just through the headache although that was a prayer for sure but that that I would endure through some of these hard things that we've walked through that I would continue to endure that God would cause me to be faithful, that he would cause me to to move forward. And really the only thing keeping me moving in that direction is the work of God in me and on me. It's not because I've done something great. It's not because I've got a plan in place. It's because God's working in me and on me to cause me to endure. God displays his faithfulness to the faithful, and I want to faithfully endure to the end. God, help. That's my prayer. I know these uh, five chapters of, of Joshua are challenging to sort through. They can slow us down in our reading. I'm sure you hit that this week. If you were reading, um, don't lie, you probably just kind of did this, right? Flip through some of it quickly. They can feel tedious. They can feel monotonous. But here's what we've got to remember. Even in the distribution of land, that God's faithfulness is a means of worship. His faithfulness is a means of worship. We, we walk through, we wade through all of these lists and these boundaries and we see that God's faithfulness is a means of worship. It moves us in that direction. Here's what I mean. The, the description of the distribution of land begins in chapter 15 with Judah and then we get this summary of the distribution of land on the east side of the Jordan, Manasseh, Gad, Reuben, and, and, and before we get to the description of the distribution of the land in chapters 18 and 19, we're backing up a little bit, going backwards. Before we get to the distribution of the land of all the other, other tribes, we see where all of this is pointing. In fact, if you would, turn to chapter 18, starting in verse 1. I want you to see this. this is right in the middle before all of the land has been distributed out. This is before they do anything. This is before Joshua and Eleazar the priest get together to distribute the land. Chapter 18, verse 1. It says, then the whole congregation of the people of Israel assembled at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there the land lay subdued before them where did the people gather Shiloh and 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 we're told that the whole congregation of people uh, the people of Israel gathered there and what did they do when they got there they gathered together and they did what They set up the tent of meeting. What is the tent of meeting? This isn't just camping. What is the tent of meeting? It's the very place where God dwells. It's the very place where the priests would make sacrifice to to atone for the sins of the people. It's the very place where the people would gather to worship the God of the universe. The whole congregation settles in at Shiloh, and they set up the earthly place where God is to be worshipped, and we're told that Joshua and the leaders begin their distribution of land. Where? At Shiloh, where specifically? Turn to the very last verse of chapter 19. Listen to that noise, by the way, people. That's Bibles turning. That's us together as a church looking at the holy word of God. Hear that. Chapter 19, very last verse, 51. These are the inheritances that Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel distributed by Lot Lot at Shiloh before the Lord. Where? At the entrance of the tent of meeting. So they finished dividing up the land. Here's what we see. The distribution of the land was conducted by Joshua and this priest and the leaders of the tribes. Where at Shiloh? Where at Shiloh? At the entrance of the tent of meeting. Here's the the light bulb. God's faithfulness is a means of worship. His faithfulness is distributed and experienced tangibly at the very place where God is to be worshiped. Everything in these five chapters flow from the direction of God as a means of worshiping God. They do it right there. We're going to distribute the land, but we're going to do it right here in this meeting place where we gather to worship God. This is going to extremely minimize the point I'm trying to make, but just get it in your heads. I know you're hot and tired. Just here's where it is for the sake of example. It would be like you signing all of the papers um, for the closing uh, of, of the purchase of your dream home. Why that is not electronic yet, I don't know. Anyway, it would be like you signing all of those papers right here in the in the front doors or the front entry of this building, and as witnesses of your purchase are the elders of this church, I know that minimizes what i 'm i 'm trying to do, but just get that picture if they 're going to make a big move forward and distribute land they 're going to do it in the very meeting place that, that God has has gathered them together, that he is to be Worshiped. God is keeping his promises. He's absolutely faithful, and his faithfulness is all for the purpose of turning us back to see him as the object of our worship. So where would he start? Right there. God's faithfulness to uphold his promise, to give the inheritance of land flows from the only appropriate starting point. That starting point is the worship of God Himself. The entrance of the tent to the tent of meeting God's faithfulness is a means of worship his faithfulness starts with his worship and ends with his worship and God is all over all of this he is the point that's why all this land is being given out so that they would turn back can I ask the question I asked earlier where has God been faithful in your life where Where have you seen it? Where have you experienced it? How have you seen his faithfulness? Think of something. Maybe something comes to mind very quickly. Can I just just ask this? What's the point? What's the point of his faithfulness? Where does your perspective need to change in that? Think about it. How often, even unintentionally, do we expect God's faithfulness toward us because we deserve it? We would never say that. No one would ever say that here but we have that in us. I deserve this. I've been faithful. I deserve this. Or or, or why would he not be faithful? I've done this and I've done that. Or or maybe even here. Wow, God is faithful and I'm so blessed. But who's the point? Me. Uh, The point is not me. The point is not us. The point of God's faithfulness is not even what I get out of it. The point of God's faithfulness is God. But we've come at times to expect something totally different. In fact, Paul uh, speaks of this in in Romans chapter 2. There's this charge to the people. He says, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to what? To repentance. What's the point of God's faithfulness? Even to us in his kindness and patience. What What's the point of his faithfulness? Not that we would settle in and expect it. Not that we would settle in and expect it, but that it would lead us to repentance. And what is repentance? It's a little action here, I'm gonna show you. Like I'm walking towards something I know I shouldn't be walking to. Repentance is turning from that. But turning to what? Turning back to the worship of God right? And and so there's this call back to the worship of God. The faithfulness of God pulls us back to that. Where does your perspective need to change on the faithfulness of God to you? Does it lead you to worship him? Does it lead you to to turn to him? Ask this, if not, why? If it doesn't lead you in that direction, why? Why? Even in the darkest of days when we despair, and even in the darkest of of days when when maybe even a a little bit of a doubt of the faithfulness of God creeps in, our prayer ought to be, God, would you cause me to see your faithfulness as a means of worshiping you? Five chapters of land distribution. You all made it. Good job. Uh, we, We blew through a lot of it. You can go back this afternoon Instead of golf, you can read through some of this. Um, five chapters of land distribution is not just details on a page. Rather, it's detailed communication from God about the faithfulness of God that is meant to lead us to worship God. This is the kind of God we have. And so this morning, here's how I want to end. I want to end by, by praying for us um, that, that, that where our hearts are bent toward entitlement where our hearts are bent toward, "Hey, I, I deserve this," or where our hearts are bent toward despair, or where our hearts are bent toward doubt, that the faithfulness and kindness of God would lead us to repentance, would lead us to a worship of who God is. And I pray that this morning, and we'll continue. Let's pray. Oh God, my prayer for my own heart this morning is that I would see your faithfulness. You have been faithful. that I would see your faithfulness as a means of worship, that it would turn me back to worship you. I confess, God, that so often I see your faithfulness as as you just keeping your promise. And I think, well, there's God. That's his character. He's keeping his promise. And I move on. And I don't often think about it in ways that would lead me then to worship you, that it would lead me to, to turn from you and turn, um, uh, uh, turn to you from, from what I'm walking toward. So would you help me in that? Would you help me to see your faithfulness as a means of worship? You've been faithful through these tribes and through Israel. You've been faithful You've been faithful in our own lives. You've, you've been near us. You've promised to be near us and with us and not forsake us. And that, that promise is upheld by Jesus who came to be near us. And so my prayer this morning for anyone in this room who has wandered away or walked away that they would sense the loving, uh, the loving call of a father back. That there would be a turn back to a father who's ready to receive Would you do that in hearts even now if there's anyone in this room who just wandered in here and thinks, wow, this is a hot, really hot room to be in, but there's something there. God's doing something. Would you cause that to not stop this morning, but there would be a turning to you? Would you spark in all of us an interest in knowing you, God, our Father? Pause us to see your faithfulness as a means of worship. Ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.